You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected to our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge or at our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message and we would love to hear from you. My wife bought a, uh, a book for the kids that, that's amazing. It's all, it's all about women of, uh, who throughout history that have displayed great faith. Uh, in, in God and done amazing things. People like Rosa Parks, people like uh, uh, Amy Carmichael, people like uh, Flannery O'Connor, all throughout history, all these amazing women who have done courageous things uh, for the name of Jesus. And uh, one of those names in there was uh, a woman named Sabina Wormbrand. Sabina Wormbrand was a Jewish woman, along with her husband, Richard Wormbrand, who was in Germany during the rise of Nazism. And of course, they were a Jewish couple. And while many, many Jewish people were fleeing the country, of course, during the rise of Nazism, they, they stayed. And to take responsibility for their own people, for their own country. Whereas any of us would have said it would have been completely justified for you to leave. They felt like they needed to stay and take responsibility for, their, for the people. And uh, even when Richard suggested them to flee along with their many other friends and family, Sabina, and you could probably get a sense of what kind of woman she was, she said, I don't need a coward as a husband. <laughs> so, so they stayed. And... Wow, what a thing to say. This was a courageous woman. Maybe not the greatest at uh, sensitivity, but uh, courageous nonetheless. And they stayed and they took responsibility for their people. It was a hard road, but uh, even though Sabina's whole family was mostly killed in concentration camps, her parents, her sisters, her brothers were all killed in concentration camps for simply being Jewish, they still stayed. And they took the hard road And they were tortured, they were beaten, they were starved, but they survived. And they saved many lives along the way and brought, helped bring change to their their country. And they even established an organization called the Voice of the Martyrs, if anyone's ever heard of that. They took a hard road. And often, in what we're going to look at today, the hardest road, but often the most glorious one, is the one that takes responsibility for the people around you, for your family, for your church, for your neighbors, for your community, and for your city. It's the hardest road, but it's often the most glorious. And I think as we analyze all of these attributes, as as we look at our series called Stunted and, and look at spiritual growth and what does growth even look like, what does, what are the marks of maturity, I think This one and what we're looking at today might be the most unattractive, but maybe the most necessary attribute to strive for, and it's called servanthood. Taking on the attributes or the identity of a servant to the people around you. Not just service, not just as much as I love our, our, our people who are serving in kids' ministry and our music team. It's not just, I'm going to do my service and then I get my time to myself. The attribute of servanthood is taking on the identity that I am now going to be a servant to all the people around me, from my family, my church, 
my neighbors, even the people that mistreat me. I will take responsibility for their life. As we've been going through this series called Stunted, I think our vision, at least my vision of growth can be misguided. I look into my future. All of us probably look into our future and we want to see something that's really glorious. And it's always good, right? Like, God, give me a stable family. Give me the spouse. Give me the kids. Give me the dog. Give me, the, give me a church that I have, I've got friends at and everything's rolling. And, and, and my life is, is kind of this, this spiritual version of, of, the, of the American dream. Like, that's what we think of almost as spiritual growth, But servanthood often isn't a part of that. What, you mean i got to lay down my life? I've got to serve all the people in my life, even the ones that I don't necessarily agree with or appreciate or enjoy? Yes. Like, that's the future of maturity for every Christian, is that you would take on the identity of a servant. It's like when my kids sit down at dinner, and all of my kids, if you've got kids... They all, you don't have to teach them to want carbs. They all want carbs. They want bread. <laughs> you could sit them down with just white bread and they would be happy with it. Like they want the carbs, they want the potatoes, and they want the dessert afterwards. But it's, it is a struggle for, to, for the, to get them to eat their carrots, their broccoli, their asparagus. Even though it's the most necessary, it's the most unappealing attribute on the plate, right? Not even kids. Landon, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's the most unappealing part of the plate, but it's also the most necessary. And it's also the one where mom and dad say, you ain't leaving that table until I see the most necessary parts of that plate finished. And Audrey is the most sneaky because she has learned to hide those things put them on other people's plates so it looks like she's finished and says, so no, mom or dad hasn't actually finished their... She is, she's sneaky. I feel like we do the same thing with this attribute of servanthood. Jesus is teaching us you need to take the identity of a servant and serve the people around you, not expect them to serve you, but you lay down your life for them That part where it's like, you're not moving on until you get this. You can't have the carbs. The joy that we looked at last week. Everyone wants joy in their life. Or it's like, I'm going to show up and, and, and be consistent in my life. As we've looked at the first week, two weeks ago, we looked at one of the attributes is consistency. is the one who shows up over and over and over again. And developing good and godly habits in our life. Secondly, last week we looked at joy, the one who is fully alive, where as we grow in our faith, as we, become, as we submit ourselves to King Jesus, he actually transfers our desires so that now our desires are fulfilled in life, and we call that joy. And this week, Jesus calls us to take on the form of a servant. Not just to serve, but to identify ourselves as a servant. There was a time when the disciples of Jesus also had a misguided view of their future, of what they thought was ahead in the on, on the road that they were traveling, what they thought spiritual growth looked like. They're headed to, in Mark chapter 10, they're headed toward Jerusalem. And as they are walking, which I love this picture, if you read through the Gospels, you'll see this, you'll see this theme of that 
The disciples of Jesus are walking with him. It's not like they attended one of Jesus' seminars, right, where he taught them, okay, here's, here's what you are to know now, 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 now you've got it, you've graduated. So no, they walked with Jesus, they observed him as he went, as he spoke, as he acted, the thing, the, how he treated other people in his life, even down to his habits of getting up early in the morning to spend time with, his, with God the Father, they walked with him. And that's, that's what apprenticing or discipling of Jesus looks like for us. It's we're walking with him. We're not just taking a seminar to graduate. It's like now I'm a spiritual, like I'm growing in my life. It's this constant walking with Jesus and observing him and how he acts so that we take on his character. And as Jesus is walking toward Jerusalem, they picture their future and where they're going. It's an exciting time to be a disciple of Jesus in Mark chapter 10. Jesus' power, his influence, his prestige is growing. The crowds are following him. Don't you feel important when you're with someone who seems important? Right? Like you feel good. Like I'm, this, guy is, this guy's got to, if I stick with him, like where, where is this, this going to take, take us? It's an exciting time. And in the passage in Mark 10, two out of this inner three disciples, James and John, press Jesus with a question as they consider where their life is going. And just like we can have a misguided view of our future, so did they. Let me read verse 35 to 37 again. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Seems a little forthright. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand, and one at your left, in your glory. That is our picture of growth. And that's where I think this road is going. That's where I'd love to see the end of this road lead to. That this man who has power, influence, we want to sit, we want to be with him in glory. Sit on his right and left hand. Now the question seems, and I've heard this taught many times, is like the question almost seems out of place. It seems too pushy. You know, it does seem a little pushy. Jesus, do for us whatever we ask of you. Does that not seem pushy? Ryan, if I came up to you and said, Ryan, I want you to do for us, do for me whatever I ask you to do. Like, like okay. Like, where's the, even, where's the request in that? Like, I'm, I'm telling you exactly what to do. However, I, I, I'm not sure if it's, if it's as pushy as the English makes it sound. I believe the sense more is like, Jesus, grant us this favor. We're asking you a favor here. This is, where we, this is what we would love to see happen in our life. It's not that all dissimilar to many of you probably prayed in your life, God, I would love to see this eventually happen in my life. You know, I'd love to see, I'd love to see our family with three kids and the dog. Can you give that to us? I would, love to see, I would love to see myself get that promotion down the road. I would love to see myself in this career. And that's not a terrible prayer to pray, but I think that's what they're asking him. It's like, Jesus, do us this favor, because we would love to sit at your right and left hand with you in glory. That's all we want. That's all we're asking for in life. That, that, that future that we can picture would be amazing if that happened. And I'm sure many of us have prayed prayed that same thing. We all have hopes and dreams that we're asking God to do for us. So I think it's an understandable question. However, it is severely misguided 
It's understandable but severely misguided, and here's why. They want to be associated with Jesus in a place of honor and experience his glory, and we all would want the same thing. Again, like, churches do vision Sundays. I've been a part of many vision Sundays for churches, or maybe you as a family, you sit, you sit down on the couch like, where are we going? And by the way, here's a good little announcement, little segue into an announcement. On February the 6th, in the evening at 6th, 30, <laughs> I think. I think it's 6.30 is what we said. At Galt Collective, we are doing a Restoration Church family meeting. It's where are we as a church and where are we going? And we're going to spend some time kind of looking at where are we and where are we going and, and casting some vision, which is kind of what James and John are asking for. It's like, this is what we would, God, this is what we would love to see you do. You know, and Vision Sundays for churches, that's what we do is we say, Lord, this is what we think God has, we've been praying about it. This is what we think God is going to do. God, do that through us. We would love to see that happen. So February the 6th, we're going to have a family meeting. Where are we going as a church? And, uh, and also we're going to spend some time in prayer of where we're going as a church. So we would love to see you there. So register online and uh, uh, we would love to see you there at our family meeting. Those of you who are online, we are also likely, hopefully, I think we are. I can't make promises before... I've actually figured out how to do it. But uh, we will also be uh, uh, streaming that as well. Or not streaming it, but we'll, we'll, we'll put you in a Google Meet so that you can be a part of what's happening. They want to be associated with Jesus. You know, when you sit on the right and left side of, of this person, what you're saying is, I want to be associated with him or her. Like when you sit beside someone... Like, you, you want to be a, a part of what they're doing. They don't want to be at the end of the table. They want to be... A, so they, when, when, when they experience glory in their future, they want to say, when, they, when people look at me, I want them to see Jesus, and vice versa. When people look at Jesus, I want them to see me. I'm right there with Jesus. I want to be there with you. God, bring your glory, and I want to experience it. I love Jesus doesn't rebuke the question. He doesn't ask, he doesn't shut him down. Be like, whoa, okay. A little pushy here. He doesn't shut him down. He simply says this, and I love this response in verse 38. You don't know what you're asking for. You understand what I'm saying here? It was an understandable question. God, we want to be with you in our future, and we want to experience glory. But you don't really understand what you're asking. It's misguided. You don't know what you're asking for. And he says in verse 38, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And Jesus says the same thing to us. And I think as a church, we have to be careful. When we say, you know, it's always glorious when, when we cast vision. This is beautiful. Like, imagine if I came up on a vision Sunday and said, church, here's the deal. This year is gonna, this is gonna be a struggle. We prayed before God, and we think this year is going to be rough, okay? This is what God has given. It's always a glorious vision. And I think Jesus says the same thing. Okay, that's good what you're asking for, but I don't think you know what you're asking for. If you want to be associated with me, it's going to be a lot harder than you think it's, than you think it, and you're going to have to take on some attributes that you don't want to take on. 
You don't know what you're asking for. You really want to be associated with me when he says to drink the cup and be baptized like me? We've talked about this a lot. It's, it means to take on the image of the person doing the baptism. It's like to go through the same experience that they, that they go through. We're taking on their character and their experience and their future. You don't understand what that's going to mean. Because when they looked ahead on their way to Jerusalem, when James and John look ahead, what did they see? They saw glory. They saw, we're going we're to sit, sit beside Jesus with all this power and influence and prestige. It's going to be amazing. What did Jesus see? cross. You really want to be associated with me? I'm the man of sorrows that you haven't seen yet. The man who is despised and rejected by people. The man who is nailed. You want to, be a, you want to take on my character? That's the demand of servanthood. You don't know what you're asking for. Why are we so misguided? And you guys, a lot of you have been in church for a long time. You know this. I mean, you know Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be nailed to a cross. He's going to be, you know, pe- pe- the, the, the power and the prestige and that he has, all the big crowds, they're going to turn their back, their back on him. You know, that, you know that's coming. You know that's what Jesus sees when he's going to Jerusalem. They don't know it. They don't know it, but you know it. No matter, hard you, no matter how hard you might try, for me as well, and I'm the same way, and maybe I'm the most of any of you, Servanthood still seems so unattractive. It seems so unappealing. I still have this misguided sense that people need to serve me and not the other way around. Like people need to fix my problems, not the other way around. Like people need to, people need to bow down before me and not the other way around. I still have this misguided sense that servanthood is demeaning. It's beneath me. We know this. Here's two of the inner three of Jesus who have observed all of Jesus' attributes and his character for the last couple of years. And they were so misguided. One is an author of one of the most read books ever written, which is the Gospel of John. This, This is John who wrote the Gospel of John still so misguided in thinking servanthood is so unappealing. It's so unattractive. In fact, it's demeaning for me to place myself lower than the people around me. They'd walked with Jesus. They learned from him. And there was, instead of serving and getting that sense from Jesus, there was this assumption that being close to him as this inner three insinuated some sort of reward. Like, I'm going to be given more than the other people because I'm close to Jesus. The left and right hand of uh, left and right of the, the, the host, when they say, Can we sit at your left and your right? Well, the right was the place of honor, but at this point they don't care. They're like, as long as we're close to Jesus. It doesn't just mean being associated with Jesus. What it means though is that's the place of honor in a, in a, a Jewish table when people would sit. We talked about this before when we talked about family. When people would sit at a table, there was the honored host or the guest who would sit right in the middle of this, of this almost like a horseshoe. They would sit right in the middle and the people on the right and on the left, they would, also, they would be the most honored positions. And you didn't want to sit at the end because that was the most shameful position. You're farthest away from the person of honor. And so what they're asking for is not just to be associated with Jesus, 
Jesus, they say, we want more honor than the other people at the table. And I think we've earned it. You know, we're close to you. We're, we're buddies with you. We've, we've served you. We've helped you. We've, we've raised money for this ministry. I think we've earned our glory and our honor, right? I have done enough. I, Jesus, I think I've earned it. Please, now, now, you, now you've got to grant me what I think my future holds. And rather than learning servanthood from Jesus, they thought being close to him meant we're going to get more than the other people. Boy, I can think like that. That's a hard attitude to shake. The more things we do for God, the more we can demand from him. Like, man, God, I've been going to this church for 40 years. I deserve it. Like, really? this person, they've been only going for a couple of years. You think they have more honor than me? I paid for that seat, you know, like in history and throughout church, like I paid for that pew. You know how much I tied to the church? That pew is mine. How dare they take my pew? It wasn't the right and left of the host. It wasn't a place where you served others. It's where you were served. Where others were jealous, as it says in verse 41, when the ten heard the request in verse 41... They began to be indignant at James and John, which meant they wanted the same seat. And there was infighting and jealousy of who's going to be sit closest to Jesus and get the most honor. All these people that are supposed to be serving together, they, they each now wanted more honor than the other person. They wanted a better future than the other person. They had the same pursuit. Man, we stubbornly believe servanthood Placing someone else before ourselves is demeaning. It's below me. I mean, that's the cultural narrative. In verse 42, take a look. Jesus says this. Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. That was over them. That was the cultural narrative. Was that the more power you have, the closer you sat to the one with all the power, the more glory, the more privilege. That's the cultural narrative. That's how the kingdom of earth works, is you lord over your status and your power. You lord it over other people. You've earned it. Now they serve me. And I love that Jesus says, Guys, after, the, after they're indignant and jealous, he's like, you know this is the case. You know it. You have become slaves or, task, or, or, or uh, uh, subservient to an empire that has more power than your own that can do whatever they want. They lord their authority as the Roman Empire over you. And you hate them. You know that's what they do. And you're doing the exact same thing with me. This is a church. You know what I'm saying here? It's like, you can come to our church. You can be a pastor. It's like, you know that's the wrong thing to do. And you still do it. It's like, Aaron, you know that you shouldn't use your authority over people. You know you shouldn't bully people with the power that you have. And you still do it. This is the disciples of Jesus. Like, following Jesus for years. And they still do it. How quickly a family 
how quickly a church family can fall apart with the pursuit and struggle for power and influence. Some of you maybe have come from churches where that was, that's the, that was the narrative, and it fell apart. Churches split because someone, someone had more honor. Someone was given more than the other person. And rather than celebrating it, that you were jealous of it. We feel that wrong value of a different kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of earth. Every time someone gets attention over you, and you've got to bring it back to yourself. You know, every conversation where someone says something that happened to them, rather than celebrate it, you've got to, you've, you've got to insert yourself in there. You know, you've got to, I've, got, I've got to get my honor back. I've got to get my attention back because this person's getting too much. We feel that wrong value. And we be- wrongly believe that servanthood, that someone else getting more honor than you is demeaning. And you've got to get it back. I love what Jesus simply says in verse 43. Look at verse 43. But it shall not be so among you. That is not your future. Everyone lords their power over each other. But that's not what you are to do. That's not the way the kingdom of heaven operates. If you want to associate yourself with me, if you want to take on my character, if you want to take on my image, this is what your future looks like. This is what growth looks like. I just want to mention in verse 40, because Jesus says, uh, the cup that I drink, you will drink with the baptism, with the I'm baptized, you will be baptized. And then he says in verse 40, but to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is those for whom it's been prepared. There's a lot of debate as to what all that means, and I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of it. I just simply think Jesus leaves the question of rank to the Father, that there is rank that happens in the kingdom of heaven and in the future. There is going to be rank and authority. He doesn't deny that, but he redefines what that, what that rank actually exists, that the preeminent value of the kingdom of heaven is not going to be power and prestige, which we so long for. It's, it's about Servant. The first will be last, and the last shall be first. As it says in verse 43, it shall not be so among you. In verse 43, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. That's the preeminent value of the kingdom. If you want rank, if you want authority, it says whoever would be first among you must be, here's the identity, a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Many of you have heard those words before. But to actually deal with the demand of taking on the identity of a slave, I don't know if I want to do that. That's the part of maturity. Aaron, I'll be joyful. No problem. I'll be alive when I come to church. I'll even serve. You want me to put, place myself lower than everyone else? Next. What's, what's, what's next week's attribute? You know what I mean? Let's focus on next week. We'll just kind of sweep this one under the rug. But if you want to grow, if you want the future, if you want to be associated with Jesus, there's a demand of servanthood that you have to deal with. 
First one is this, I think in demand of, I, I'm going to end here really quickly. First demand of servanthood, I think, is this, how you view yourself. Jesus describes if you want to be first, among, if you want growth, if you want your future, whoever be first among you must be a slave of all. It's a, it's a pretty far term to use. But a slave of all, which would be a life of submission and servitude to the people around you. What that means is you can't demand from others. You know, there's some of you, and even myself, you tend to point to others to do the work for you. Or it's like if something is your fault, is well, that was, that was, you try to deflect responsibility from yourself instead of taking responsibility on yourself. It's someone else's fault. Maybe the first step in your growth is simply taking responsibility for the people God has placed in your life. Fathers, mothers, stop making excuses. You've got to take responsibility for your family, for your church. It's not someone else's responsibility, it's yours. Not only how you view yourself, but finally, how you view others. In verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you look at the character of Jesus, that word ransom was a payment that was made for another's release. It was you making that payment for someone else so that they could be set free. That they didn't deserve, they didn't earn, but you made the payment. The responsibility was yours. Responsibility, that you are the one who's giving your life, taking responsibility for others. The responsibility might be the one thing that everyone wants until you've got it. Everyone wants responsibility because you want the glory of the responsibility. You know what I'm talking about? You want the glory of the responsibility and the power until you've got it and something goes wrong and now everyone looks at you because you're the one responsible for it. You're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. I just, I just want the glorious side of responsibility. I don't want to actually take responsibility when something goes wrong. Might be the one thing that everyone wants until they've actually got it. I hesitate even saying this. I hesitate saying this. Get your groans out, though, okay? Get ready. Get ready, okay? I have a lot of sympathy for Doug Ford. Get the groans out. Come on, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Groan away. No one's groaning. So no one is... No, everyone has been good with Doug Ford so far? Okay, come on, get the groans. I see some shaking. Get the groans. I have sympathy for Doug Ford. Get the groans out. No one wants to admit Not that I agree with everything Doug Ford has done. Please do not put words in my mouth. Please do not send out angry texts or send me an angry email and say, Aaron, are you in favor of what Doug Ford... No, I haven't agreed with everything Doug Ford has done. Just please, this is a sermon illustration. Don't take it too far, okay? But I have some sympathy for Doug Ford because the one who takes responsibility takes a weight that no one else understands, that they don't have the weight. I don't understand what it's, what it's like to make the decision that Doug Ford makes. I don't understand what he... It seems easy to me. But he has to bear that weight. He's responsible for it. And trust me, it's nice to be the premier of Ontario until a pandemic happens. 
then you're the one who, then it's on you. You've got to appease everybody. You've got to please, which is completely impossible. For one, I feel, I, I have some sympathy, some sympathy for him. Again, please do not take this too far. I have some sympathy for him because, for instance, a couple weeks ago, schools open up. Makes the announcement that schools are going to open up. Or sorry, no, but to be, sorry, after Christmas, that they're going to delay schools being opened up. You have 50% of society, including me, who's like, are you kidding me, Doug Ford? How could you possibly delay the opening of schools? You are going to ruin the mental health and education of the future generations. And that is on you. The blood is on you, Doug Ford. And you have the other side. Once Doug Ford says, okay, you know what? We're going to open up the schools. 50% of the other people, how dare you, Doug Ford, open up all the schools? We're going to fill our hospital capacities. People are going to die, and their blood is on your hands. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't want to be Doug Ford. I don't agree with everything he's done, but he bears a weight that, quite frankly, none of us in this room understand. But that's what taking responsibility is. It's not appealing. It looks appealing because you're like, I get to make all the decisions. That's not what responsibility is. It means when something goes wrong, you're the one that has to make the hard decision. You're the one that has to clean it up. You know, part of our cultural problem is when it comes to families is that you have a mother or father who wants to, wants, they, want, they want say, they want to lead the family until stuff happens and then, then they peace. I'm out. This is, getting, this is getting too messy for me. For marriages, it's great to be responsible for another life until something bad happens and you're like, I'm out. It's too messy. But that's what being a servant is. It's taking on a weight that no one else understands. Jesus, as he went to the cross, as he made his way to Jerusalem, to become a ransom. It wasn't people that thanked him for it. They all jeered him. They all shouted curses at him. They spit on him. They beat him. Because he's the only one who could take responsibility for your life. No one else is going to do it. But he did. He bore a weight that no one else can understand. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest of grief. And it says we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised. And we did not care. So while we look forward and see a glorious picture of our future and what growth looks like in our life, Jesus saw a cross. That's my future. A place of ridicule, shame, and disgrace. That's our Savior. That is the call of servanthood. To lay down your life for the people that God has placed in you to be responsible for. This unattractive, as it says in Jesus in Isaiah 53, there was no beauty about him that we could take notice. This unattractive, unappealing beauty. God, thank you so much that Jesus 
took responsibility for my life. Made himself a servant. He did not come so that people would bow down and so that he could command them to do whatever he wanted. He came to serve. And not just serve in ministries, but to become a servant of many. Lord, show us as we grow in our Christian life, maybe the most unappealing of attributes. Lord, may I take on the form of a servant so that I understand what it is to have the character of Jesus, so that I understand what it is to be associated, to sit at his right hand and at his left hand, this one who became servant of all. Lord, may we never wield our power against each other. May we never, as the cultural narrative is, once you've earned your power, it's yours to wield. Lord, may we never drool over that power. May we serve one another. May we serve our church. May we serve our family. May we serve our community well. The servanthood is not beneath us. It's actually above us. It's the attribute that we can't take on ourselves, but only through the Son of Man giving it to us. It's actually above us. It is more glorious. Like the Sabina Wormbrands who stayed to be responsible for her people, to serve her people. It's not a pretty road, but it is a heavenly one. God, may you teach us what it looks like to be a servant. We love you. We pray for all these things in your